When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Listen to my show, the Del Wamsley Radio Show, where the hype ends and the help begins. Right here on KCAA, now broadcasting on 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM. The stations that leave no listener behind. KCAA Loma Linda, 1050 AM, K292FQ Riverside, and K293CF Moreno Valley. In his book, From the Trench to the Bench, Judge Herb Dodell demystifies the legal system, including both civil and criminal, the lawyers, the judges, and the process. As a judge, former deputy district attorney, and criminal defense attorney, he knows the legal system. He has the inside information that you need to pick a lawyer, and he's here to give it to you. No matter what you're facing that makes you think you may need a lawyer, Judge Herb will shed valuable light on your situation and reveal your best options and many secrets of how the judicial system actually works. To find out more about how the legal system really works, you can get your copy of Judge Herb Dodell's eye-opening book, From the Trench to the Bench, at Amazon.com. KCAA Radio now joins the Sunday morning worship services of the Pruitt Baptist Church in Van, Texas, with Brother Mike Calhoun.
In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, you were probably thinking, how is he going to make Mark work? There's no birth narrative in Mark, you know. Well, you've got to go to another gospel. You have to go to the go- another whole other gospel. And in the Gospel of Luke uh, this morning, we're going to be reading uh, about Jesus' birth in Bethlehem. And the, I think the primary focus of this passage right here, one of the, of course, it's declaring the birth of our Savior. This is a phenomenal event. This is the crucial event for us as believers, as Christians, because our God, uh, who was transcendent of flesh, becomes flesh. That's what's happening. You read in the Gospel of John and First and Second John, and these, that issue is one of the core issues of, of, that John um, uh, encapsulates there. I mean, he, he wraps his arms around this idea of uh, spirit becoming flesh. And, um, but I think also another aspect of what's happening is, in the ministry of Jesus and in his, even in his, from his origins here in the flesh is the unlikeliness of our Savior, the unlikeliness. There's an, un, there's an unlikeliness to the gospel. There's something that, that doesn't fit the world. Jesus really doesn't fit the world, and he shouldn't. He doesn't fit for what the world, how the world is set up. Didn't come to the world in a usual way. Uh, didn't minister in a usual way. Doesn't save in a usual way. He's completely different. And that's why it's so hard for some people to come to him because it's not how you think it ought to be uh, to, to carry out and to uh, be performed. It's according to God's plan and how it should be. Look in verse 1 here with me and let's stand together as we read chapter 2 beginning in verse 1. Stand in honor of God's word this morning. Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to meet him, with, who was engaged to him and was with child. And while they were there, those days were completed for her to give birth and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And in that same region there were shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. Father, thank you for your word. Please bless its reading and its preaching this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, please be seated. So the likely Christmas scenario, what are some of the likely aspects? Of it? Well, there's so many traditions we have. You know, um, a few Wednesday nights ago, I asked about what your favorite Christmas movie was, and we all had a lot of the same Christmas movies, uh, you know, Miracle on 42nd Street, things like that that were, were very common. You can go into most homes, not all homes, but most homes in America, and there's a traditional Christmas tree, there's a meal, Families make traveling plans. There's, there's things that are very likely going to happen, very 
traditional. And even in your own homes, you have your own traditions that you have built up, have built up around your own traditions. But can I tell you that the, at the birth of Christ and in celebrating Christmas, he was a very unlikely Savior. This was a, he, Jesus came on the scene as a very unlikely Savior. Um, and let's just play with that idea for just a moment. Think with me for just a moment of this unlikely stereotype. You know, historically during this census, and there were two recorded around the same 10-year period in here, um, that historians wrestle back and forth which one actually it was that was taking place here. But okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. There was actual census that was taking place um, uh, at the beginning of our calendar, our Christian calendar that we keep. And have you ever thought about why have Jesus be born at that time? Now, why was Jesus born at that particular time 2,000 years ago? No telecommunications, no mass printing, um, no, uh, no effective means of communication that we would understand them today. We would not have chose that as a particular time for the Savior to be born. Now, I know in our traditional thinking about Christmas, we can't imagine him being born any other time but, but that time. But if we had planned this and man had planned this out, it would have happened around now where mass communication flies across the planet. You can... Somebody here could pick up their phone, and if you've got international calling, could call someone on the opposite side of the planet. And it would bounce off of satellites, and you could talk to somebody. You could witness to somebody. That would seem more of a likely time for this Jesus to appear on the scene. But that's not when it happened. It happened 2,000 years ago. Um, we think about the sophistication of the society. There was not a sophisticated society. Uh, that part of the world was still very tribal, and it was still very regional, um, still very primitive. The social structures, we think of the Muslims being very uh, 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 conservative in their thinking to the point of, you know, um, uh, lunacy. But I'll tell you that it was, it was so, there was great worry for Mary that when she became pregnant, you know, she could have lost her life. She could have been stoned for becoming pregnant outside of uh, the bonds of marriage. So in a historical sense, when we think about it from sophistication or even in the social strata, we think about the culture and the technology, it seems like a very odd time. And yet it was God's timing. It was God's perfect timing. He knew right when this child should be born. And it wasn't carried through telecommunications. It wasn't carried through printed press. Do you know how the gospel was carried in those early days? down the Roman road, and that Roman, that Pax Romana, there was a Roman peace that existed at this time. Historians are, are very uh, fond of this period of history because Rome, for all of its um, bad attributes, also had provided a Roman peace that allowed peace, that allowed communication such as it was, verbal communication, to go forward. So God in his wisdom allowed this event, called this event, allowed this event to take place at a particular time when the gospel could not go forward in any other capacity other than one person to another person to another person. And oh my, have we lost that. The Lord did know what he was doing, didn't he? In those earliest of days, you had to tell somebody. There was no other way for it to be, there was no other way for it to be communicated. It had to be told orally. The gospel had to be shared 
orally. And so it, was, it happened in an unlikely time. And yet God's timing was perfect for the gospel. And if I might just make one application after trying to create, you have to almost build this straw man and, and that it's impractical. You know, man, I would make an application is that the gospel, and not just at Christmas, but the gospel, uh, although it seems like an unlikely time, is often at the perfect time. Okay? So in our first point this morning as we're sharing on the, gospel, on the Christmas story, the gospel story, um, you may have a family member. You may be going through something in your life, and it seems like an unlikely time the church is the answer. Well, I got news for you. Church is not the answer. Well, it seems like an unlikely time that uh, maybe somebody needs your, you have a loved one, and they need to talk to the pastor. Listen, the pastor is not the answer. It may seem like an unlikely time that the gospel would intrude into your life because you and your husband are having troubles in your marriage, and, and maybe if they could just get the right Bible study. Listen, it's not a Bible study. It's the same, then, it's the same now as it was then, and his name is Jesus. The answer is, is Jesus Christ and a relationship with him, developing that relationship. And just as Jesus broke forth in, in human history on the scene, that's, probably what needs to ha- that's very probably what needs to happen in a lot of lives in America today. Jesus needs to break forth on the scene, even though it seems like an unlikely time. It's a perfect time. It's a perfect time. And so whoever, whatever you're wrestling with or your loved one's wrestling with, and you wonder if it's the right timing. i got a little note myself, to myself here. Slow down because this is a very exciting thing. Remember, it's always the right time for Jesus. For you to pray for someone, try to present someone as Jesus was presented to us in the flesh. Look at the unlikely characters in verse, verses 4 here. It said, Joseph went up from Galilee, from the city to Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him, they're just engaged, they're betrothed, it says in that King James, and was with child, and was with child, and while they were there, her days were completed, and she gave birth to her firstborn child. What unlikely characters. You know, the foretelling of the Messiah coming, breaking forth on the scene, this had been the great dream of the people of God, God's promised people. And bless their hearts, God's promised people, or some of them are still waiting. I happen to believe there are a lot of Jews who believe that the Savior, the Messiah, has come. They do know that it's Jesus. They may not, they might not vocally profess this, but I have through the years begun to meet more and more Jews. They believe Jesus was the Messiah. They believe Jesus was the Messiah, but it's more of a culture. They, they're tied to their culture. But what unlikely characters would have been chosen First of all, this Mary of no great prominence. She was not a, she was not a great person and not a person of parliament or kings or, or queens or somebody who was you can find easily in a history book other than looking in scripture. And the best she was hoping for was to have children, to find a husband, have children, to remain honorable before Jehovah God, live out a normal life, and then die and go be with Jehovah. That would have been her great goal in life. And yet, in the midst of this young, unlikely woman's life, unlikely, vulnerability, so vulnerable to the world at that time, when without rights, God poured himself out into her life, called her, used her, and she would become, just as a human, a normal human woman, the mother of the living God. What an unlikely character. And poor Joseph, he had some of the same similar interests, a carpenter, and he would have thought of having just a normal child, a normal son, find a wife, have children, have the lineage carried on, work his craft as a carpenter, and, and he, he just wanted a normal life. But we read in Matthew in 1 and 18 how God actually had to intervene into his life and say, Joseph, 
because he was thinking about putting her away privately, it says in Matthew. But God actually had to intervene into his life and, and speak to him and tell him that it was going to be all right and to go ahead and take this woman and to go ahead and to, and to be, be a father to this child. And you should call the, the child, told Joseph, you shall call the child Jesus. Spoke that to the father. Such an unlikely couple. This is a great point for us to remember about the gospel and the unlikely characters that it uses. One of my favorite verses in scripture comes out of First uh, Corinthians and it's in a spot here in First Corinthians chapter 1 where Paul is dealing with the Corinthians about human wisdom and he gets to a certain place in First Corinthians chapter 1 verse 26 but he said for consider your calling brethren that there were not many wise according to the flesh not many mighty not many noble but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong and the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Man, this is our kind of Savior, I'm telling you. He calls the unlikely. He works in the unlikely life. And even in the birth of his own son and the characters that he uses to bring them into the world, um, it is not many noble, not many wise. And when we get to this time of the year, there's something poignant about the fact how we, we see the people, suddenly we begin to see the people who are in desperate need. We see the homeless maybe a little bit clearer than we normally see them. We see the family that's struggling a little bit closer, maybe a little bit clear. And you know, our, our inclination is that, gee, everything should be perfect. We want the perfect, we want the perfect Christmas. This is going to mess up Christmas. This is going to hurt Christmas. Listen, this is exactly what Christmas is like. And if God in the next few weeks throws you a curveball and you begin to have problems, uh, any kind of problem, and you begin to wonder about this happening right around Christmas time, let me tell you something, that's exactly what Christmas is all about. It's a fallen, broken world. People who are not mighty and people who are not proud and strong within themselves but who are weak and who are in need of a savior that's what was going on right here not many wise are called but he's called the base of the world for you see jesus could have been born to anyone he could have been born to a king he could have been a, to a queen he could have been born to some member of parliament to some great position but he chose a woman and she was going to be born in it this child was going to be born in a manger how unlikely we think about for a moment the not only the unlikely timing and the unlikely characters, but think about the uncomfortable or the improper situation. How Joseph had to make up his mind to go ahead and trust God and say, you know what, this is of God, I need to do this. How Joseph took his fiance and he went ahead and he, this betrothed of his, he was faithful to her. How he took her and got her to a safe place and she gave birth. Joseph willing to marry her. Joseph tying up his hopes into something that was less a perfect situation. Something that would have been uncomfortable. How sad is that, you know, when you think about those two kids on the road trying to get to Bethlehem to register. And yet that's all the gospel. That's what the gospel is all about. It's for those uncomfortable moments. Can I tell you, we ought to stop thinking about the perfect Christmas setting and start thinking about the uncomfortable things that are going on around us and let God minister to those uncomfortable situations. Amen? 
like Jesus did with the woman at the well, like Jesus did as he confronted the lepers who were ceremonially unclean and loved them anyway and healed them, how Jesus reached out to Zacchaeus, how Jesus' whole ministry was tied up to, to working with those that nobody else wanted to work with. In fact, that's not a bad call. That we, we might pray in the coming year, God, we want everyone that nobody else wants. We want the broken, the, the rejected, the down and outers, those everybody else has given up. We'll take those, Lord. And I'm going to tell you something. That's the Christmas story right there. Because Mary and Joseph were no one of any prominence at that particular time. And yet the king of kings was born probably in an old lime and, and laid in, in a, a limestone manger, a feeding trough. And that's where the Savior was. Such a humble beginning for such a great king. He's willing to deal with that which is uncomfortable. Uh, to me, the great encouragement here is don't ever write anybody off. Who are you just about to write off now in your life? And you know there's no hope for them. They failed too many times. You know, they're, they're not going to make it. How many chances have we given them? Let me tell you something. Our God is a God of second chances, and he ministered those uncomfortable and improper situations. Look what it says in verse 7, because he also had this unlikely origin. I've already touched on this, but it says in verse 7, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in clothes and laid him in a manger. And that's that limestone manger I was talking about. It was probably a limestone manger. And laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. There was no place for the king. If we'd have had our choice, it would have been a place of opulence. We as Christians, we'd have made sure it had been a palace, a, a Vatican, a, a St. Petersburg. It would have been someplace great. What would, you, what would we have held back for our king? If we had an earthly king here and we had him here in the flesh, what would we hold back from him? Nothing. And yet in his very beginnings, and as a lesson to us, where is his first place? Where is his place of origin? in a manger, in a stall, a place where animals were fed. I submit to you this morning that this is the hallmark of the Savior's ministry. It's the manger ministry. The preaching and the discipleship and the, king, and the invitation itself and the sanctification processed on the way to the cross. It's, it's not like we would think that it would go. It's another way. God takes us down the humble road. He doesn't take you to the strong and the mighty and the knowledgeable. It's not the high-powered... A psychologist or pastor or preacher it's a, it's a personal relationship with Christ Jesus and in the humble small beginnings come great things that's discipleship right there that's a manger ministry how sad that there was no room for him in the end I submit to you again this morning that, that, that that's a lot of what America is doing today they're not making room for him and, and yeah even in the Christian family today we're struggling to make room for the savior who of humble origins wants to change This is what the gospel is all about, manger ministries. What's the invitation like? Listen, the invitation, the invitation is come to come to Christ. It's not to come to Pruitt. It's not to be saved or be, have, put your hand in the hand of Brother Mike. That's not what the ministry is about. It's put your hand in, in, the man, in the hand of a man named Jesus. It's not to follow and become prominent and see how many we can stand or how many wins we can get. It's to submit ourselves and to die to self daily. The disciples struggled with this regularly. They were thinking of an earthly kingdom. They wanted to overthrow the Roman government. He said, no, you're going to die. Remember, that was last week's lesson. You pick up your cross and you follow him. It's a process of discipleship. And all of Jesus' preaches, all of Jesus preaching and all of Jesus' preaching, all he ever offered us was a cross. And to pick that cross up and follow him. 
I tell you, that's what Christmas is all about. It's reminding us to pick up our cross and to follow him. For others, we'll make no room. We'll make room for him in our lives. There's also an unlikely audience. Who was it that just Jesus... With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Says in verse 8, in that same region there were some shepherds and they were staying out in fields and keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around about them and they were terribly frightened. Now this is a fantastic passage of scripture. Do you notice how in the, do you notice how in the, the science fiction movies whenever there's a visitation from another planet, it's always the presidents and it's the United Nations and it's kings and prime ministers and the smartest people on the earth, the scientists. They're the ones who are going to meet this new contact. Well, not in the Gospels. In the Gospels, when the creator of the entire universe shows up in the flesh, who does he present them to first? Shepherds. Those were the lowliest of the low. If you were to go back to that, if you were to be transported back in that time and you were to look at the basis, most simple people that there were, it was the shepherds. They lived the simplest lives. They lived out on the, on, out on the hills, and they took care of sheep. They had the least amount of wealth. I mean, there was no 401Ks that they were stocking up for themselves. They were the simplest of the simplest, and that is who the message came to first, simple shepherds on the hill. The, the announcement of the king of kings and the holy angel, the holy message comes to them first. An angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord showed around them. Then along with that, a holy host in verse 10. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. Not to Caesar, not to Pilate, not to Herod, not to any of the other world leaders that existed at that time, but to simple shepherds whose names are not recorded in the scripture, only that they were shepherds stay, staying out by their flocks at night. The good news of the gospel. So don't be surprised that God is... is has spoken to you and is still speaking to you and is wanting to speak and is wanting to continue to speak to a lost and dying world that needs a king. Remember how Jesus said how, the, how, how not many wise, not many mighty are saved, not many. It's hard, it's hard to get through them. For the person who has everything, for the person who has wealth beyond imagination, has power beyond imagination, that person is hard to lead to the Lord. That's hard. But you show me the down and out. You show me the family that's struggling. Some people say, I'm a wolf, but I'm not. I'm a shepherd. I'm telling you something. When I see somebody who's hurting, I take them the gospel. I don't take them myself. I don't, I don't even promote my church. I tell you what, I take them the man Jesus. And if they can just meet Jesus, the Jesus that I've met, he'll change their life forever. The angel said to them, do not be, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For today in the city of David has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign. He's going to put him on a little mission trip. This will be a sign for you will find the babe wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger. And again, there's that humble origins of our Savior. And then suddenly, to enunciate what these angels, this angel has said, there appeared with the angel a multitude 
of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and earth peace among men whom he is well pleased. The peace of earth had appeared, and the angels were singing his praises. And we'll see some scene like this someday in the future, my friends, you and I together, those of you who know Jesus as Lord and Savior. There is a time coming when an unlikely at an unlikely time, when an unlikely person for a lost and dying world in an impossible situation, and we will have a new beginning, and he will come gather us from the four corners of the earth, and we will be with him forever. That's the Christmas story, and this is the beginning of it. And as Brother Cherry said a moment ago, it's not the ending, it's the beginning of something that is still going on right now. Now, I have a, a little bit of a boast here. But I want to ask you a question. Do you remember your first Christian, your first Christmas as a Christian? Now, a lot of you can't because you were saved at a very young age. You were raised by parents that raised you in church. You heard the gospel. So you don't remember not hearing the gospel story at Christmas. But I remember as a young man being saved about the age of 24. And the first Christmas at my father-in-law's house, at Brenda's mom and dad's house, We've been married about six years, and I remember laying on the floor and hearing the Christmas songs and looking up at the Christmas tree. I was laying on my back in the living room and bawling my eyes out because now Silent Night meant something. Now Hark the Herald Angels Sing had a, no, a whole new picture. And I remember what it was as a lost man now having been saved. I knew what Christmas was really all about. But the great mystery to me was I met a lot of Christians through the years who forgot what Christmas was really all about. And I find myself trying to get back to that first Christmas when it was still fresh that my Jesus had come in the flesh, lived a sinless life for 33 years, died upon a cruel cross for me. I know it doesn't seem right hearing a cross message on, the, on a birthday, but let me tell you something. That's what his purpose was, to be born, to live a sinless life, minister for three years and then die upon a cruel cross. That's what Christmas is all about right there. And I want you to be intentional in these next couple of weeks. As your families meet, as you sit around the dinner table, you share that story. It's not a bad time. It's a great time to tell them about what will make an incredible difference in their life. The most important difference, an eternal difference in their life, his name is Jesus. And everybody said, Amen, Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the, the meaning of Christmas and what it does for us. Dear Lord, and, and Father, allow this story, Lord, which is a true story, the account of the birth of Christ. Father, we pray that you allow it to settle down in our hearts and help us to be intentional in these next couple of weeks as Christmas approaches, the day we celebrate as Christmas approaches, dear Lord. And help us to be real and authentic and help us to know there's no bad time to share the gospel. Lord, we love you. We ask you to bless us during this season in our life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, You're listening to the Sunday morning worship services of the Pruitt Baptist Church in Van, Texas, with Brother Mike Calhoun.
This is Mr. Dewey Willingham, and he's coming for baptism this evening. If you think that's wonderful, would you say amen? Amen. If you really think it's wonderful, say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Mr. Willingham, upon your public profession of faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, I now baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, buried with him in the likeness of his death. Praise your name for what we just were witness to, God. What a beautiful picture of we have two different ages, two different hearts, God, that are, that are choosing to follow you for the rest of their life, God. We pray that you would bless their journey, God. Um, you've already changed their heart, God. We pray that you would be with them along the journey. We pray that you would be with us as we encourage them and as we um, walk alongside them to help them. Um, to stay faithful to you, God, as they help us stay faithful to you. God, we love you, and we um, are just so thankful for your faithfulness and for your love and for the way that you encourage us. Um, it's in your name that I pray, God. Amen. to thank you for your prayers and your support and love for me and my family. My wife is still uh, having a difficult time. Some days she's good, some days she's not so good. That sensitive, sensitivity to light, of course, sound as well. So, um, 
devotions at home with things that you think you can and cannot do. And, and so, but we thank you for your prayer, prayers, and, and uh, you know, God is still in control, amen. Amen. So we, we love Him and, and love you and just uh, appreciative of you and thank you for your patience with us. <laughs> That's a good word to say or not, but uh, God is good, amen. Amen. We, we continue to serve and do it all. Full pick mic tonight, brother. Randy. I want to share a devotion with you tonight out of John chapter 3, if you'll turn over there with me. And as you turn over, I'll just tell you, I love baptism. Isn't that wonderful to see what we've seen tonight? And uh, God is so good. How he, uh, I'll tell you, if, you, if you're a Christian, you've been saved, and you know the specialness of that uh, for you. And just so happened tonight that Lanny uh, called me and told me that Jalen was ready, and it was just a really good night, just all the dynamics. Um, and the Gospel of John chapter 3 is an incredible story of exactly what we're talking about tonight, what we're looking at. It says in the first, uh, in first verses of John chapter 3, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, and this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God. And I'm going to stop there in mid-sentence to say that many of the people, that the people, rather, that we are trying to share the gospel to, with are in darkness. They're in darkness. And um, the study of Pharisaism is actually a pretty uh, uh, interesting study. It's a very interesting study. It says that this man was a man of the Pharisees. He was a man of the Pharisees. It tells us a little bit about his name. But Pharisaism was a very intricate, it was a very intricate uh, group of men, of priests, and so the, um, uh, there were, it was complex. Uh, they were politically a powerful group. And um, this stood in the way, actually, though, of Nicodemus coming to know Christ. Now think about it for a moment. Jesus, they, this stir was coming around about Jesus and who Jesus was and what he wanted to do, what he had come for. This was the Messiah. They were supposed to have known who uh, Jesus was. And this man, uh, this man, Nicodemus, however, um, because of his position, because of who he was, because of the politics, because of the power, he has to come to Jesus by night. You know why he came by night, don't you? Because of everything I just said. Because of the group that he belonged to. Because of all those social pressures that he belonged to. What would everybody say if he came uh, to Jesus? Um, and the exact same problem exists in, when we are trying to minister and share the gospel with people uh, who are lost. Um, I can't do that. I'm too well known in the committee, or my friends know me too well, or I have too much power. And if I humble myself and I get saved, and people see that I've humbled myself to you know those uh, people, those hypocrites that are down there on the hill, and all these things go through people's minds. They don't say them, but that's what's going through their mind. All these things stand in their way of people just coming to know Jesus, and so he comes in a discreet way. Now you think I'm being judgmental, but I'm really not. Most of the people that we lead to the Lord today are, won't be, they're not going to come down the, the, the aisles and the doors of the church. Most of the people in history that have been saved have been saved in history. I don't believe that for a moment. They've been saved out in fields, hay meadows. They've been saved out in the cities, maybe two men working in a sewer together side by side, and one of them shares with them the other. about the, They've been saved in all different kinds of situations. I'm telling you what, that's the real dynamic of the gospel. Not that this is the only place that we share the gospel, but that when we share the gospel with a, 
with a friend, number one, that's our easiest, that's our easiest way to share the gospel, somebody that you know. And a friend might ask you a question, and if your spiritual radar is up, and you, he'll come to you or she'll come to you in a very discreet way and say, you know, I really wonder what this thing about life is all about. Or it'll come, that opportunity may come that way. It may become in a planned event. It may be something you as an individual or family plan or something we as a church plan. We plan an event, and then we are intentional that the reason we're doing this event, and you've heard me say that. I've kind of let our secret out that when we do something with the Wanas or we try to do something with the men, it's, it's intentional. We're trying to get men and women and boys and girls into a place where we can share the gospel. But here's another one, and, and lost people hate it when I talk about this, but a life event. Everybody has a life event. And it may be a marriage, a birth, it can be a wedding, uh, it can be a loss of a parent, it can be something dramatic, and people are sensitive at that time. And I had a friend I used to work with, you hear me talk about how hostile all the time it was a food warehouse, and Buddy Holder, he was so, he told me he just did not like Christians, did not like finally I said, Buddy, why don't you like Christians? He said, because y'all are just waiting for something bad to happen. When it bad happens, here y'all come around. I said, yeah, <laughs> you just made my argument, buddy. When something bad happens, we're coming around. He said, well, what do, we, what do y'all want? I said, you. We want you. We want you to know that we love you and that we're praying for you and that we're encouraging you. It goes on, it says in chapter, in chapter 3, verse 3, And Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I say unto you, unless you are born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born again when he is old? He cannot enter a second time in his mother's womb to be born, can he? And so Jesus, very much to the point, and this is something that we forget. I mean, I think we forget ancient, uh, how antiquated Christianity. Christianity has been around for a long time, which is good. I'm glad Christianity's here. But Christianity, antiquated Christianity, forgets why we are here. We've been here so long, we forget why we are here. But Jesus didn't. He was right to the point. Jesus didn't want to talk about the Pharisees, politics, the stocks. He didn't want to talk about what the price of gold was, price of oil. He said, hey, man must be born again. That was his simple message. And, you know, I have a favorite uh, uh, evangelism tool called Just Walk Across the Room. It's a great conversation starter. teaches you some tools and tricks for how to overcome your fear and walk across the room and witness to someone. But some of his most famous stories are guys that he was friends with for years and years and years and years. And I, I believe that happens. I believe that there are some people that you have been friends with for years and years and years. And they're waiting for you to say to them, listen, I am just not going to go to heaven without you. I'm just not going to do it. You need to be saved. And you have that kind of... Uh, you, cannot, you have that kind of investment with that friend. They know you love them. They know you love their kids. They know that you love to spend time with them. But they, what, they want, what they need to hear you say to them is, look, I know I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven. And because of who you are, not me, they just think I'm a crazy Baptist preacher. But if you say it, if you say it to them and say, I'm just not going to go to heaven without you, they'll be saved. We have that friend. That it so maybe it takes years and years and years. But the, the, the New Testament is not filled with those kinds of testimonies. The New Testament is filled with all these people that when they heard, they heard the gospel and they heard what it, listen, you've got to be saved. And that needs to be the first, that needs to be one of the first things that people hear come out of your mouth. If you meet somebody as a brand new friend, a brand new co-worker, somewhere early, not 15 years later. And that, no, I just don't believe that. I mean, you can be saved 15 years later, but when you first meet that friend and you build that relationship, they need to know that's what you're all about, that you must 
be born again. You can't, and, and he asked this wonderful question, and the whole world is asking this question. He says, he said, how can a man, well, listen, this is the deal. This is where Jesus hoodwinked me. I mean, this is where Jesus overcame my superior intellect, and I found out I really wasn't that smart, <laughs> is this. Jesus says, he says, he cannot enter the room in the second time, and Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a man is born of the water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And what Jesus was pointing out to him was that the world, when they ask us, why do you go to church? Why do you go to that church down there? Or why are you a Christian? Or why? how can you believe that? All these scientists and all these history channel shows and all these science shows, and that's, they say this one thing, but how can you say that? And you say, listen, you, I can't tell you how in the flesh, but I can tell you in the spirit. And it wasn't a scientific it wasn't a political argument that the pastor who led me to the Lord won me with. It was just the simple truth of the gospel, and I had to come to grips with that because I knew a lot of that stuff even when I, in my younger years. I knew a lot of that science, they call it. And I had to take it by faith that a man had to be born again, and Jesus is making a distinction. In the flesh, you have to encourage your friends. You'll never understand it in the flesh. You'll never figure Jesus out. You have to make sure you impress upon them that it's a trusting of the faith in the heart. And if you can't come to Jesus that way, you can't come. You've got to come like a little child, like Jalen did. Amen? So it's the difference between the spirit, a person born of the spirit, a person born of the flesh. Verse, jump all the way down to verse 9. And Jesus says, uh, verse 8 and 9, he says, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said, how? Well, he's had a lot of questions, doesn't he? How can these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, are you a teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? And um, it's not because we're picking on them, but it's because we're trying to understand them. I'm going to give you a little pop Christian psychology here. Is that sometimes your friends, sometimes the friends are the people we're trying to win. I've, I've led people to the Lord uh, who didn't have anything, who lived under a bridge. And I've led people to the Lord who seemingly had everything. And um, you have to see what it, sometimes you have to see what it is they have to get over. I've led people to the Lord who had abusive parents, had abusive dads. And so they have trouble with a God concept. They have trouble with a father concept because their father was bad to them and they just can't imagine a loving father. And so if your heart's open to that, you can, t you can tell them about a loving heavenly father who really does care for you has had his eye on you, has been watching you, following you, hoping for you, pulling for you, putting you right in the right place you need to be so that you can meet Jesus. And so um, when Jesus says to them, how can you be a teacher? He's recognizing, yes you're, a, yes, you're a teacher. Yes, you're a Pharisee. Yes, politically you're connected. Yes, you're all these things. But let me tell you something. You're nothing without Jesus. And that's the place you got to be with a lost and dying world, the people that you love and that you care about and the people that you meet. You, I'm, not, I'm not saying that we have to tear them down. I'm, have to, I'm saying that we have to understand them for who they are, and they're lost, and they need Jesus. Amen? Boy, isn't this good stuff? Chapter 3 of John. He says, um, in verse 11 and 12, he says, Truly I say unto you, we speak of what we know, we testify of what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. Uh, if I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Brother Mike, tell me, what's my best argument? You just tell them your story. You just tell them your story and your testimony and how you were saved. 
Me and Mr. Willingham's story is that just this past week, we sat on his couch and he prayed and he asked Christ to come into his heart. Me and Jadlin's story is that um, her mom brought her by the office and, and we went, we talked and we visited there. And I know it wasn't there. It was at Vacation Bible School, wasn't it, Lanny, that she was saying. And she came by the office and we, we were to go around the room. There'd be all these different stories about how you met Jesus. But I'll tell you, any testimony is a good testimony if at the end of it it says, and I met Jesus. <laughs> you, may, you may have this, and I listen for this. When I'm listening to someone who says they're a Christian, I listen to a lot of different things, a lot of different scenarios, a lot of different circumstances. I listen to them, and all of our testimonies are different, different ages, different backgrounds, different, all kinds of different people. As long as it ends, within I place my faith in Jesus, and I was saved. Because that's the only thing that saves us. It's not our works. It's not being American. It's not being white or black. It's how, if we've trusted him. So just share your testimony. And Jesus says, I have shared my testimony with you. And Jesus was true about his testimony. And then he, he brings an Old Testament PowerPoint that Nicodemus would have recognized. Finally, something Nicodemus can grab a hold of. And just think about this great teacher of Israel hearing this for the very first time like this. Verse 14 says, And as Moses was lifted, lifted the serpent up in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man may be lifted up. Now, what was that story? The people had sinned against God, and the Lord sent serpents against them. And because they had sinned, they now had a curse, and the serpents were biting the people, and the people were dying. And so what they did is they took one of the serpents, the sign of a curse, and they set it up on a pole. And, he, and Moses said, listen, if everybody will go by there and look at that serpent, you'll live. And, and it hit Nicodemus for the very first time. Well, wait a minute. That's what they're, that's what they're going to do to him. I know what we're going to do to him. I run with the guys that are going to kill him. I know what they have in store for him. They're going to put him through a kangaroo court. They're friends with Pilate. They're going to put him on a tree, and then I'm going to look at him and believe, and that's how I'm going to save, and I'm going to miss the curse. And it hit Nicodemus. Just think about that. And that's what happens to our friends and our, our families and the people that we love and the people we witness to. They recognize they've been, they've been bitten by the serpent. They have the curse of sin upon them. Verse 15 says, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. And he, now he connects himself with the Father, and this would have been overwhelming for Nicodemus as well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever would believeth in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And Jesus, for the first time in Nicodemus' life, connects himself theologically to a heavenly Father and says, I am his Son, and he said, he loved you so much, and he gave, he's giving me for you that whosoever will believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting or eternal life. For God so loved. For God moved. You can't say that verse and not be moved the power by the power and the omnipotency and the omniscience of that verse. If I were going to finish up with one closing point, it would be this. All through the Gospel of John and in 1st, 2nd, 3rd John are these subjects or these themes of light and darkness. And how did Nicodemus come to Jesus? In the darkness. In, light. in the darkness, he was coming to the light. He says in 18, He who believes in him is not judged, and he who does not believe in him has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light, for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light, so that his deeds 
may be manifest as having been brought by God. And so there are a lot of esoteric cultic groups, and they tell you part of your, their initiation is you have to stand outside of a wall or outside of a door and say, so-and-so stands in darkness and wants to come to the light. Don't you believe it? If you're a born-again Christian, you come to the light. You know who Jesus Christ is. The greatest light, I don't care how much education you get, I don't care what it is you think you learn in this life, all the wisdom of man, nothing is to be compared for the light, for the enlightenment that comes from knowing Jesus Christ, the creator of the universe. That's the true light. That's the true Messiah. And that's the true answer to the darkness that's in the world. Everything that man manufactures fails. But what God has produced and what God has produced and has provided through his son, Jesus, is a salvation that will stand the test of time. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. And we, all God's people said, Amen. let me pray for us tonight. Father, thank you for your word, dear Lord. Thank you for speaking to us tonight in the baptismal service and in the song service. And Father, in your word, finally. And Father, as I close this right now in prayer, I pray if there's one that's here tonight that doesn't know you and that has not yet come to the light, not, not to denomination, uh, not, to some, not to some wisdom that man has thought of, but to the knowledge of need and their need for a Savior. If they've come there tonight and they know they need to be saved, I pray that they would seek out Brother Ron or me or Eric and we'd pray with them, dear Lord, they can know that they have settled this issue of eternity. Eternity. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said. You've been listening to the Sunday morning worship services of the Pruitt Baptist Church in Van, Texas. A podcast of the service is available on demand at the KCAA website at www.kcaaradio.com. The Pruitt Baptist Church is located at 9908 State Highway 110 in Van, Texas. The Sunday worship schedule includes Bible study at 9.45 a.m., morning worship at 11 a.m., and evening worship at 6 p.m. For more information about the Pruitt Baptist Church, visit their website at www.pruittbaptistchurch.com or call 903-963. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.